I don't feel like I'm ready to die, but is anyone ever really ready for that? How would I even know if I'm prepared or not? Or more importantly, is there even anything after this life to prepare for? I'm a good person. I give money to charity. I go to church. And I haven't, you know, murdered anyone. But how good is good enough to get into heaven? What if I miss the mark? My mom says eternity is a really long time. Will I get bored in heaven? What's up there anyways? I know, I know. Everyone has to face death at some point. But that doesn't make it any better. The thought of it is still absolutely terrifying. How will it happen? You know? And when? I live in constant fear of losing someone I love. You know, what if? What if tonight I get a call that my husband died in a car wreck on his way home from work? What if this morning was the last time I'll ever hug him or talk to him or hear his voice? I'm scared I won't know the last when they happen. All dogs go to heaven, right? So my dog will be there then, right? Oh no, I, I hope there are no cats in heaven. I'm a Christian and I really do love God, but what if, and I feel guilty even saying this, what if it's only Jesus in heaven? What if no one else I've ever lost is there? Is that gonna be enough? Okay, I'm just gonna say it. I am really sick of people telling me what happens after I die. How are you so certain? It's not like any of us have experienced it. I don't care what that one kid said, I really don't think heaven is for real. Is there a Starbucks in heaven? Because there definitely should be. I don't question death, I question God. If he's so good to his children, then why do I have to bury one of mine? This unrelenting ache in my chest sure doesn't feel like God loves me as much as I'm told he does. Dying? Pfft, that's something only old people have to think about. I'm 11 years old and invincible. I grew up hearing all about heaven and hell from church, but I'm still not sure what to believe. What really happens when I die? Where will I go? Good morning, all. Great to see you. Beautiful day. Hope that uh, you're experiencing God's peace already today. Welcome to Union Chapel and Life in 3D. We're talking about different aspects of life that are pertinent to all of us, trying to get perspective and meaning to these uh, various issues. Uh, My name is Greg Paris. I'm the pastor here at Union Chapel. Welcome. I've uh, chosen as our passage of Scripture this morning from the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And we want to talk about today something that is very pertinent to all of our lives, which is the subject of death. All of us will experience death, and it's good for us, it is wise for us to contemplate it, to consider it. And so we're going to do that this morning from this important passage in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. It's our custom here at Union Chapel to stand as we're able to hear God's word, so I invite you to do so. Chapter 7, I'll read the first four verses. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. 
For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. May God inspire us today through this important word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. How many of you read the paper? Read the, you still read the paper paper. I mean, the actual paper paper, that's, that's getting more rare. I read the paper online when I, when I read it. Uh, how many of you start with the front page, if you read the paper? Front page. How about the business section? Business people here? Yeah, you like to check the market and all that. How many of you start with sports? Just spark? Yeah, a lot of guys do that. What about the comics? Come on, start the day with a laugh. Uh-huh. How many of you start with the obituaries? Come on, I, it's true. There are people who do it. These are usually older people in the room. We've all heard the line about the guy who turns, turns uh, first thing in the morning to the obits, and if he doesn't find his name there, he goes out and has a good day. Hey, I'm still alive. Let's get it going. <laughs> Let's get busy. People are naturally interested in death. In fact, more and more, it seems, people are interested, even obsessed with the subject. We see Hollywood and and other TV programming now catering to these sorts of things. Recent movies like Ghost, and then there was The Sixth Synth. Can you see, can you see the little young act, actor saying, I see dead people? That was kind of an interesting moment. More recently, The Conjuring, Final Destination. These are movies that Hollywood is producing now on the subject of death. TV programs are now being given to the subject, Paranormal Witness, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, Medium, Ghost Whisperers. And, of course, now uh, we have the walking dead. The zombie apocalypse is all around us. And so there are dead people, and they're walking around. The walking dead. So we have this fascination with death. In the next 10 years, you might be interested to know, 70 million Americans will turn 65 or older. And, therefore, there's an increasing number of people in our population who are getting closer to death and, therefore, thinking about it. 92% of Americans believe in the afterlife. 92% believe there's some kind of life after death. When you ask those same 92% if they're planning for or preparing for their afterlife, that number goes way, 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 way down. Very few people are actually thinking about death and preparing and planning for it. Ecclesiastes 7.4 says, Yes, a wise man thinks much of death, while the fool thinks only of having a good time. So in other words, uh, verse 3 helps us again Sorrow is better than laughter. It may sadden your face, but it sharpens your understanding. And so here's the wisdom of Solomon. He said, it is wise, it is wise to think about death. It may make you sad for a while. You may mourn for a while. But it's wise because if you get perspective on death, it will actually give you what you need, the perspective and wisdom you need to live your life. He said, the fool, the foolish person denies death, pushes it away, doesn't think about it, doesn't contemplate it, and only seeks after their own thing and their own pleasure, and that person is not ready when the time comes. And so we hear from Solomon this wonderful wisdom. It's good to think about death, even though it may be a a bit melancholy for a, a season. It will help you live your life. Now, how do you look at death? Three things on your outline. The first one is a brief, and it's simply this. There's a natural side to death. And we're all... uh, Aware of this, it's uh, the earthly, scientific side of death. Solomon said that death is inevitable, physical death. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2.16, we must all die, wise and foolish alike. Death is 100%. No one cheats death. No one escapes death. Do you agree with that? No one beats death. Anyone here planning to beat death? Anyone? I'm not going to die. 
Haven't had to take her on that all, all weekend. Number two, uh, Solomon says death is physical. Ecclesiastes 3.19, man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. So naturally speaking, every living thing dies. It's part of the cycle of life on the earth. Uh, just as sure as things live, we will also die. You will die and I will die very naturally. It will happen to us and we will, and we will pass from this life. Death is also the end of all things, Solomon teaches. Ecclesiastes 9, the dead know nothing. Their loves, their hates, their passions all died with them. So this is the natural side of death, that it will come to an end. Physical death. Now I'm about to share with you a short but poignant poem. Are you ready? When you're dead, you're dead like Rover. When you're dead... You're dead all over. Thank you. Thank you very much. How did you like it? I've been practicing it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you'd appreciate some culture in the sermon today. When you're dead, you're just dead. Physically dead. And that's it. Party's over. Physically, party's over. That's it. You're done. Now, how many of you are happy you came today so far? This has just been a very invigorating experience. You've we had, we had a death this past week. Maybe uh, you heard about it. Uh, Yogi Berra passed at the age of 90. Yogi Berra is kind of a national treasure. He was a uh, Major League Baseball player back in the, I don't know, 30s, 40s, 50s. And he, uh, he was a, a great icon of baseball. And after his baseball years, he was known for these funny little quips that he would just roll out of his own uh, funny little thinking and for example, one of them is, it ain't over till it's over. That's one of the Yogi Berra quotes. It ain't over till it's over. And everyone in America uses that. It's part of the vernacular now, right? It ain't over till it's over. That's a yogiism. Uh, another one was, for example, you can see a lot by, by simply watching. It's a yogiism. Don't try to figure it out. Here's, here's one he talked about death. He said, you should always go to other people's funerals. Otherwise, they won't come to yours. It's a yogiism, yeah. So <laughs> I'll explain it to you afterwards if you, if you don't. <laughs> so there's the physical side, natural side of death. Then there's the rational side of death. This is more of the uh, emotional or psychological way of looking at death. Every human culture has investigated this aspect of death, that there must be something else. There must be something more. It's like there's this God-given uh, human intuition and giftedness, awareness that there must be something else beyond this life that we long for, we hope for. Something more than just physical life. All the cultures of the, of, of the earth and of history have illustrated this, this fact. I mean, the, the pharaohs built the pyramids of Egypt in order to have a vehicle through which they could enter the afterlife uh, all the way to the American Indian, the Native Americans here who had the happy hunting grounds. Every culture has imagined something else, something more, something beyond this life. One attempt to look at life from this rational side of death is the philosophy of reincarnation. Maybe you're familiar with it. Uh, you don't do well in your first attempt at that life, so you come back, you're reincarnated as some other form of life. You can be an insect or a rodent or a cow or another person. You work your way up. If you mess up, you just so you keep working your way. 
Now, this next statement is not politically correct. However, Hinduism, the ideology from which reincarnation flows, is nothing more than the corrupting influence of the worship of idols, idols which derive their spiritual power from demons. So I don't recommend that you embrace this philosophy. Uh, it only leads to confusion. And that leads us to the third idea of death, this third way of looking at death. It's on your outline there, and this is the spiritual side of death. This is God's perspective on death, the Creator's view of life and death. Now, I want to put this question up on the screen. You saw it in our video earlier, but this is a very important question in our lives, and it's simply this. What happens to me after I die? What happens to me after I die? Now, let me just say that this, from the, from the perspective of Christian, a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, this is not a complicated question. It may feel complex. It may feel mysterious because, as we know, none of us here have been through it yet, so we, we're not, we don't have an eyewitness to what's happening after we die. But we do have a record of God's witness to us through the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, the Word of God. And so we do have the perspective that God gives us about what we can expect when we die. And so for the Christian person with a biblical worldview, this is not a complicated answer. It's an either-or answer. Either we celebrate or we suffer. Either we celebrate God's presence with God's people or we suffer separation from God and His people based on a decision we make while we are alive and before we die. That's what the Bible teaches. And therefore, you can either believe that or you can believe the latest pundit, the latest talking head, the la latest philosopher, the latest author, the latest Hollywood celebrity, whoever it is that you incline an ear to, and you can believe them who found their enlightenment through their studies of Scientology or their encounter with Buddhism through the Dalai Lama or through some self-realization in the New Age reincarnation teachings. Or you can... Believe God through His inspired Word, the Bible. Those are the options. Now, there are people who will say, you've heard me say these, these precursor words, and now you may push back and say, well, I don't believe what you just said. I've, I've heard preachers say such things before, and I don't believe it. Well, look, I can't make you believe it one way or the other. But if you don't believe it, if you don't believe God's perspective on what will happen to us after we die, you, you're looking at it from a natural or a rational point of view and not from God's perspective, the Word of God. If you don't believe what I just said, then you're drawing your conclusions from information, either internal or external, that are outside of God's revealed truth for you. If you reject the Holy Scriptures as your source of information about death, then it means you are basing your opinion on what you have imagined or on your own psychology or what you've heard from someone who is confused about the subject. You have to base your opinion on something. You have to base it on something if you have an opinion about what happens to you after you die. Many of you would recognize the name Shirley MacLaine. She's been a Hollywood actress now for decades and decades, and she has espoused New Age reincarnation. She's perhaps the most popular of this opinion, this philosophy. She believes that she has been reincarnated many times, multiple times, uh, as a person. It's interesting to me that people who embrace reincarnation believe that they have lived past lives never imagine that one of their past lives was as a groundhog or a tadpole. They always imagine themselves as some prince or princess in some exotic place in the, in the world in history. Shirley MacLaine also believes she's been abducted by aliens. 
She believes that very sincerely. Richard Gere, he's another, he's another uh, person who's a Hollywood icon, and he's an avowed Buddhist. He chases the Dalai Lama around the world just like a, a, a kid chases an ice cream truck, and he apparently finds meaning in that. John Travolta is a name you would know. Tom Cruise is an icon of Hollywood. Both of them are Scientologists. We have psychic hotlines now, which are very popular in the United States. Psychic hotlines are a $1 billion business in America. It could be, it could be that there is a person in Muncie, Indiana this morning who has woken up and concerned about what's going to happen to them after they die, have picked up the phone, called a psychic hotline, and said, I'm confused and frightened about death. Can you tell me what's going to happen to me when I die? And God knows what kind of answer they're going to get. It's an amazing world in which we live. We have these uh, psychic spiritual mediums now who have programs on TV. Uh, maybe you've seen the program Long Island Medium. There's a little firecracker of a woman named Teresa Caputo and she claims to be a spiritualist medium, and she meets people, complete strangers, randomly in her life, and senses loved ones that they knew who have passed, passed on, on the other side, and she channels their thoughts and ideas to these loved ones. An episode will not include a, a segment where Teresa Caputo walks up to someone and says, who is the male figure who's recently passed in your life? And the person will say, well, that was my Uncle Eldo. Well, Uncle Eldo is coming through, and he wants you to know that he is well, and he is safe, and he's looking forward to seeing you. And so be at peace. And what you won't, you, the reason you won't see that segment is because this woman may report back and say, well, wait a minute, Uncle Eldo was an alcoholic pedophile, and he's the last person that I ever want to see again. The whole concept of spiritual medium is not only presumptuous, and dangerous, it is a manipulative and destructive. You should know that the Bible explicitly condemns all contact with the dead. Explicitly condemns. That means not just that it's a bad idea, but rather that you open yourself to all kinds of evil when you engage the practice of trying to contact the dead. It's a bad idea, bad, bad idea. Don't do it. Can incur the judgment of God. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 says it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Now, what does that mean? Better to go to a funeral home than it is to a nice restaurant? Is that what Solomon's saying? He said, for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. What he's saying is that answering the question, what happens to me after I die, is a very important question. You could argue that it's the most important question you will ever answer in your life. What happens to me when I die? The biggest decision of your life. And so many people in our postmodern, post-Christian culture basing their opinion on the conjecture of people who don't have any expertise or any connection with ultimate truth. And think about the numbers of people who may just succumb to the opinions and feelings and philosophies of, of Hollywood icons. These are people who only work three months a year and live in California. And yet you're basing your eternal perspective on their perspective and opinion? Well, I just don't believe the Bible. I just don't believe the Bible. You may be a person in the room today, and that's your perspective. That's your position. Let me ask you this. Have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read the Bible prayerfully and searchingly, asking God, God, please reveal, if you are real, please reveal to me what happens to me after I die? Have you studied the great minds of history? 
on the subject of redemption and salvation and eternal life? Have you been a sincere seeker of the truth? I mean this, if you are currently believing something and you believe it now and it's, and it's wrong, would you like to know that it's wrong? If you currently are sincerely believing a particular philosophy today and it was wrong, would you want to know that it's wrong? I want you to believe me when I say this. If the conclusions I have come to about the truth of the Bible and the efficacy of Jesus Christ to forgive my sins and restore my relationship with God, if those beliefs are wrong, I, trust me when I say this, I want to know it. I want to know it. I am a truth seeker. You're looking at a boy who is a seeker of truth. I want to know what ultimate reality is. I want to know the truth. That's why I don't take drugs. I don't take mind-altering medications. I don't drink alcohol. I don't go there. And the reason I don't is because in my personality, I don't want anything to confuse me or obfuscate me from the truth. I want to see reality and I want to see it clearly. You can, ask my, you can ask my mother, first of all, who's still living, and my wife who's here. These two women know me better than anybody in the world. And they will tell you that Greg is not easily persuaded by current trends and popular opinion. When I was 12 years old, if one of my friends or a group of my friends were going to do something stupid, I didn't do it with them. I'm not interested in stupid. If you want to be stupid, be stupid on your own. But don't ask me to join you. You can ask my wife about peer pressure. I have colleagues in the, in the ordained pastoral ministry who would hear the sermon I'm preaching today and take great offense with me. But I don't care. I don't care. Because I want to know the truth. Here's my story. When I was 16 years old, I was stumbled into a church one night, and I heard the gospel presented to me in a way that I could comprehend and make application in my own life. The first time in my life I could ever remember hearing the gospel, the message of Jesus' love for me and his redemptive work on the cross on my behalf in a way that I could comprehend and accept for myself. And I remember the same night that I heard it clearly is the same night I made a decision to follow Jesus. And I remember thinking that night, in the few minutes between when I got the message and when I received the message, I remember thinking to myself, I was 16 years old, I thought to myself, if this gospel message is true, I'd be a fool to turn it down. I'd be crazy not to accept this wonderful gift of life and hope. Yeah. Death is inevitable. Living eternally is reality. Preparing thoroughly for that existence is really, really important. You should be ready. Let me ask you the, the question this way. If, if someone was nice to you and you admired them for some reason and, and, and you like to fo kind of follow after their thinking and their worldview and their philosophy of life, and they, they turned to you and said, look, here's, here's something that I've invested my money in. Why don't you take all the assets you have, every last penny that you possess, and invest it in this particular area? Just trust me on this one and just invest everything you have in that particular investment. Would you do it without vetting that company or checking the history of that stock or, or talking to someone who, who knows the integrity of that particular corporation or that, that business? Would you, would, you, would you just give everything you possess on the opinion of someone that you admire? And the answer is no, you wouldn't. When I describe it that way, you go, are you crazy? I'd never invest all my money in just one thing that someone, you know, 
recommended. That's, what do you, I'm not, I'm not dumb. I'm not going to do that. But isn't, isn't that exactly what happens to so many people in our culture today who actually place their eternal hope and perspective and worldview on the opinions of people? And you haven't vetted that whole system. You haven't, con- but it just seems right to me. It feels right. You know, you've got to follow your own heart. And my heart says that that's, that's, that's right. That's what I should believe. Stop it. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. Your heart will deceive you. Your feelings will betray you. Are you listening to me? What you need is truth. You need the truth of God's word made made plain and clear to you with these important questions of life, such as where will I go when I die? What does God say about eternity? He says we'll either spend eternity with him in heaven or we'll spend eternity without him in hell. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. Now listen, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? Sounds hard to deal with. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe Jesus knows anything about eternity? Is it possible that Jesus Christ knows more about eternity than you and I know? I'd say that's possible. That's a good likelihood. Jesus knows more about this eternal thing than we do. Did you know that there are 20 direct references in the New Testament about a place called hell? 20 direct references in the New Testament about hell. Did you know that Jesus is quoted 12 of those 20 times? 12 of the 20 direct references to a place called hell in the New Testament comes from Jesus himself. That's interesting, isn't it? That's very curious. In fact, if you do a simple statistical analysis verse by verse through the New Testament, you'll discover that Jesus had more things recorded to say about hell than he did about heaven. Maybe Jesus knows something that we don't know. Maybe we ought to pay attention. Maybe Jesus is trying to give us an important and sobering message. Maybe so. You say, well, I don't like talking about this subject any more than you do. few years ago, I preached a series on hell. I got up and I said, the next four weeks, we're going to talk about hell. People kept coming. I don't know why people came to church for a whole month. These were the four sermon titles. You ready? The first one was the character of God. Have you ever thought about the character of God relative to a place called heaven, a place called hell? You know, God is, his character, he's, God is 100% loving. You believe that? God is love? 100% loving. Everything about God, he's through and through, 100%. There's not one degree that's not loving about God. His character is love. And you know, at the same time, God is 100% just. Do you believe that? 100%. That means there's no shadow, no variation. There's no hedging, no fudging. There's no look the other way. There's no winking at, well, that's just a little problem, no no big deal. With God, 100% of the time, he's going to be just. How does you suppose God in his his own personhood, how does he reconcile being 100% loving and 100% just all the time. And how does that work in your life? Does he love you 100% of the time? Yes. Is he going to hold you accountable 100% of the time for every single last thing that you've ever done, said, or thought? Apparently he is. That's his character. It's 100% just. See, everything, everything wrong has to be made right. Everything crooked, every last single thing that's crooked has to be made straight. 
So how does God, a loving God, deal with my, my imperfection, with his justice? It's a good question, isn't it? How does, he reckon, how does he rectify those things? Let me tell you how he did it. He did it by giving his son to, to, to provide the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that his love can be 100% expressed in the sacrifice of the loving gift of his son, Jesus Christ, and he's, his justice can be satisfied 100% of the time because Jesus became the perfect satisfaction, propitiation for our sins so that every sin you've ever committed has been perfectly covered, satisfied, and forgiven by the grace of God. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? The character of God helps us with that. The seriousness of sin was the second message in that series, and we completely underestimate and under, under, undervalue the reality of sin in our life and in our world. The Bible says that the soul that sins will surely die. The wages of sin is death. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is a big deal and it's a big issue. And we should take it more seriously and more soberly. The third message in that series was the grandness of grace. The grandness of grace. I think in heaven we're going to be singing amazing grace a lot. Because the grace of God, the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God has been extended to us as a gift. We didn't deserve it. We, we aren't lovable, as it turns out, but God loves us nevertheless. We aren't forgivable, but God extends his forgiveness to us nevertheless. This is grace. It's a gift of God. It is undeserved. It is unearned. And God extends it to us, and it's great, and it's grand. Thank God for his amazing grace that made a way for us when there was no way. The last message in that series was the value of a soul. The value of a soul. Let me ask you something. What are you, what are you worth? You personally, not your net worth, but your intrinsic worth. What are you worth? What's your value as a person made in the image and likeness of God? Here's the only comparison that we can make to understand our intrinsic value as a person. God looked down upon us, each one of us individually, saw us, saw our face, saw our name, saw our need, saw everything about us and recognized that we were lost and hopeless and undone without His help. And he looked at us in that lowly estate, in that separated state, this, this chasm that existed because of our sin and rebellion toward God and our isolation from him. And he saw us in this hopeless estate. And when there was no way for us to make up the difference, God made a way for us. God made a way for us. And the way he did it is by offering what I submit to you is the most valuable, the most expensive, the most costly, the most precious thing in the entire universe. That is the life of his very own son. I want to just submit into evidence, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that the most expensive, precious, and valuable thing in all the universe is the life of the son of God, Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what God gave. That's what he expended in order to purchase us back. He gave the life of his very own son. Now, may I ask you a question? What are you worth? What is the value of a soul? What is the value of your soul? So I don't feel like I'm worth much. Really? Here's what I know. This is what the Bible teaches. If you had been the only person in all of history who needed the forgiving grace of God, if you were the only person to commit sin and in need of God's forgiving grace, then God would have sacrificed, expended the most precious thing in all of the universe on your behalf. He would have given His life, the life of His Son, for you. I ask you again, what is the value of a soul? 
What is the value of your soul? I think you're worth more than you even imagined. I think you're worth an eternity of God's precious value, the life of His own Son. When you think of that in those eternal terms, it'll help you. It'll help you to choose well and appreciate who you are and how God has made you. So there are summary statements, summary statements in the Scripture that help us understand this place called hell because God has given us this choice, this opportunity to choose where we want to go and spend our eternity. And the Bible says that hell is a literal, physical place. The Bible says it's a place of fire and brimstone where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. It's horrible. It's an emotionally dysfunctional place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. When do you gnash your teeth? I mean, just think about it. It's a symptom of regret. Missing the exit late for the meeting. Hell will be a place of everlasting regret. I could have, but I didn't. I passed it by, and now I'm lost. Gnashing of teeth. The Bible says that hell is a place where there is relational isolation. Now think about this. Maybe you've heard people say this to you. Maybe I've heard people say this to me. Look, pastor, leave me alone. I'm going to hell. I know it. I'm going to hell. I'm a bad guy. I'm going to hell. I'm going with all, where all my friends are going. We're just going to have a big party in hell. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is an underestimation of the reality of hell and its consequences. It is mocking humor that completely underestimates hell's severity. Hell is separation from God and from everyone else. The great author, Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote, Hell is you alone by yourself forever. Very sobering. The Bible declares that hell is a place of spiritual suffering that lasts forever. Those of you within the sound of my voice today, you're in this room, you're hearing my voice. Maybe you'll get online. Others will be online today. Maybe you're uh, streaming this live and you're listening to me preach. Everyone within the sound of my voice completely underestimate and undervalue the blessings that come from God's presence in the world in which we live. Listen to this carefully. Everything that is good, everything that is lovely, everything that is gracious, everything that is beautiful, everything that is pure, everything that is holy, every enjoyable thing in life is a gift of God's presence in the world. God's presence is here. He's in this room right now. When you go out and get in your car, His presence will be there. When you get back When you get back on campus, His presence will be there. When you get back home, His presence will be there. In the morning when you go to work, His presence will be there. When you get to school, get to class, His presence will be there. God's presence permeates our world. His grace is present among us, but not in hell. Hell is the separation from God and from His presence. And we have no appreciation, we have no concept, we have no way of getting our minds around an existence and experience without the presence of God because we've always enjoyed His presence. What happens to you after you die? You will either celebrate or suffer depending on the choice you make while you are still alive here on the earth. Now listen to God's perspective on this. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is patient with you. Because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to turn away from their sins. King James Version says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and the knowledge of the truth. That's helpful, isn't it? That's helpful. People push back, though, and they say, but how could a loving God send someone to hell? How could a loving God send someone to hell? Listen, a loving God does not send people to hell. The only sending God did was to send his only son to die on a hellish cross for you and me. God doesn't want you to go to hell. He's done everything in His power 
to rescue you from such a place. God doesn't send you or anyone else to hell. That's a choice you make. I mentioned last week that the greatest blessing in humanity and the worst curse in humanity is the same thing. It's the freedom to choose. God has made us in His image and likeness. We are free moral agents. And you can choose anything you want. God will let us have anything we want. Right now we can pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. We can pray that. But if you choose to go to hell, God will look at you and say, Your will be done. Your will be done where you are. Because it's been your choice. So you can choose to go to hell if you want to, and I recommend you don't. Or you can choose to celebrate God's presence in heaven. You can choose that. Look at Revelation 21, 3 and 4. I'll put it on the screen for you. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, for the old order of things has passed away. That's really great news, isn't it? The old order goes and new things come. That's wonderful. Look at Psalm 1611. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Eternal pleasures. It's going to be a wonderful place. You know, one of the questions that was on our video today, how can anyone know for sure what heaven's going to be like? Listen, no one can know for sure. No one's been there and come back. Except the Apostle Paul had this experience. He tried to explain. He said, I'm not sure what happened to me. But it was like I was out of my body and I was transported to another spiritual dimension. And I don't know how that worked. I'm not, it's confusing to me. But I found myself in heaven. And then he was transported back into his body, and then he starts writing about this experience. And this was his summary statement. I'll put it on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 2.9, this is what he said. Heaven's like nothing you've ever seen before. <laughs> he said, look, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men what God has in store for them that love him. We can't even comprehend it. Can't get our minds around it. It's too great. It's too grand. It's too wonderful. For us to understand what God has in store for us, this is a great blessing. I believe heaven is a place where every decision made here, and decisions made here are so huge, friends. Every decision made here is magnified to its fullness there. Here we decide to follow and walk with Jesus. There we'll do that perfectly. Here we worship in part. There we will worship in whole. Here I choose fidelity and loyalty. There it will be perfected. Here I give a little there it is magnified into great blessing, more than I can even imagine. Here I give my life in part, there I receive it fully. Looking at death from the spiritual side gives me great hope. Not despair, not confusion, but hope. And everybody needs hope. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Now listen to this verse carefully. Listen to it. In our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. In our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. This happened so we would not rely on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. Now, what's, what's going on in this statement? What Paul is writing about here is that all of us have a feeling. We have an intuition. We have an inclination as human beings that makes us aware that something's missing, something's wrong, that I ought to be better, that I ought to do more. I ought to perform at a higher level. I, 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 should, I should be a better person than I am. And I, I, there's, there's something that leaves me uncertain of my relationship with God and, and unassured of whether or not I can be accepted by Him after I die. And God allows us to feel these things because He wants us to stop relying on ourselves and start relying on Him. To rely on Him. 
Thinking about death sharpens my thinking because it reminds me that, you know, I don't think I can manage this on my own. I'm going to need help beyond myself to be ready for the moment of my own death. Here's my invitation to you today, friends. If you feel this, if you sense this, if you have an intuition about that, here's my invitation to you. If you have not yet done this, trust in Christ. Trust in Christ as your source for eternal life. Do that. Do it today. If you haven't made that decision for Christ today, today's your day. If you came into the room today and you're not sure about where you're going to spend eternity, you can be sure before you leave today. Trust in Christ as your source for eternal life. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 says, Jesus has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let me just remind you, Jesus didn't cheat death. He beat death. Jesus didn't just skirt around death. Jesus grabbed a hold of death, drank the very dregs of death, and defeated it and became victorious over it. That's why we can stand now and say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. First person I met this morning when I came into the church early this morning was a woman sitting up in the nursery. And I looked at her and I knew her 93-year-old mother just passed. And I walked over to her. It was the first time I'd seen her. And she had a smile on her face. And I said, you had a great celebration, didn't you? She said, it was a wonderful time. My mother loved Jesus. For months now, she's been saying to our family, I'm going on a trip. Where are you going, Grandma? She said, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> I'm getting ready to go. This is a woman who loved God and had the assurance of her salvation and had trusted in Christ and Christ alone for her eternal life. That's the way it should be, friends. When you gather for the funeral, because death is going to happen, when you gather for the funeral, it should be a great celebration of the wonderful hope that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Could I encourage you today, I invite you today to trust in Christ. And the second thing is invest your life in eternity. Ecclesiastes 11 says, look, it's a wonderful thing to be alive. You should thank God every day for every, every moment he gives you in this life. That's all good. But he said it's far better to focus on eternity because compared to this life, down here is futile in comparison. Eternity's coming, friends. Are you ready? Last thought. For many years now, I've asked my secretary and indeed all the support staff to peruse the newspapers every week, every day, and anytime they see an obituary from a parishioner, someone associated with Union Chapel, either who has become deceased or is a loved one of, a, of the deceased, I ask them to physically cut that obituary out of the paper. So a little column, obituary column, is cut, physically cut out of the paper paper, and the, the, the name of the person associated with our church is highlighted. So either the deceased or one of their loved ones is highlighted on that. I've done this for years and years because I oftentimes will sit down and write a little note, handwritten note of condolences to the family. Do you know how many weeks have gone by in the last several years when an obituary column was not placed on my desk? Zero. There's an obituary column on my desk this morning. I got there this morning, been out of town a few days, got there this morning, looked at it, there it was on my desk. This week there will be one or two. Some weeks there's three, some four. Some, some weeks there are five or six obituary columns laying on my desk. You know what it reminds me? People are dying. People I know are dying. People I love are dying. People I'm associated with are dying dying all the time dying all the time 
And here's a fact, friends. You don't know the moment of your death. You don't know when that day will come. You don't know if this is the last sermon you'll ever hear preached. No one in this room has the assurance of that. I don't know if this is the last sermon I'll ever preach. So the question is, are you a wise man or are you a wise woman? And have you contemplated your own death? Because it could come any time. Have you contemplated that? And have you placed your trust, your full confidence in Jesus Christ and made him the Lord and Savior of your life so that you know your sins are forgiven and that you'll, you'll live with God in a celebrative state forevermore? If you don't know that, you can know that today. If you came into the room today and uncertain, unassured of that wonderful peace that comes in knowing Jesus, you can know that today before you leave. You can bring all your questions, all your concerns, all your anger, your bitterness, all that stuff, all your doubt. Bring, bring all of that and just come. Place it at the cross. Say, Lord, I trust you. As much as I understand of myself, I give to as much as I understand of you. And God will hear that prayer and he will meet you there. And so the invitation is given. And I invite you to respond to him. Would you bow your heads now? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Could we pray just about this for a moment? Maybe you're a person in the room today and you don't have the assurance that I'm describing. You, you've never taken the step to trust in Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. But you'd like to do that today. Today's your day. This, you, you sense it. This is your moment. If that's true for you, look, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that will embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand or come forward or any of that. But I am going to ask you, while everyone's bowed and their eyes are closed, no one's looking around, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to receive Jesus. Trust in Christ today for my salvation to be prepared when I die. Would you just raise your hand where you're sitting? Just raise it up. People have been doing this all weekend long in every service. Just hold. I see you, hon. Yeah, I see the, those hands in that section there. Good. I see your hand there, too. Anyone else? There are a number of hands all over the room. Now, in support of those who are making this decision, taking this step today in their faith, I want everyone to pray out loud in support of those who are taking this step. Just pray out loud after me. Are you ready? Pray out loud after me. Dear gracious God, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me of all of my wrongs. Cleanse my mind. Cleanse my heart. Cleanse my body. My entire life. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. Come into my heart. I want to live for you. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I trust in Christ as my source of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's great. Good news. Great, great, good news. God always hears that prayer every time. 